Grab yourself a Bailey's and hot chocolate and listen to the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. It is the year 2016, and life has lost all meaning. What once was up is down. What once was right is wrong. And those who dare to make a podcast which subversively reanimates the dead art of radio theater are considered dangerous criminal outcasts. Driven into exile, four pungent brigands risk their lives each week to broadcast from a South Seas barge, crudely fashioned from the disintegrating corpse of an ancient titan several thousand yards of cooking twine to bring you the triumph, the majesty, the sublimity of rude alchemy. Listeners, you pathetic, unenlightened masses, how are you? No, no, don't tell me, we'll be here all night, and I simply cannot wait to jump into tonight's episode, because... Well, because it's Carver Crap in Crane Bottom, that's why. Isn't that reason enough? Oh, you don't think so, huh? What are you, a rough tax from plant or something? Stop it. There is no audience participation. This is not the theater. Oh, of course. Apologies, mentor. Listeners, oh, it really is like the first day of school for so many reasons, not the least of which is the company of my dear mentor. And I couldn't be more thankful. I'm thankful for his guidance, I'm, I'm thankful for your attention, and of course, I'm thankful for Carver Cranebottom, Bone Detective. This season, Carver Cranebottom, Bone Detective is brought to you by Charles T. Pemberbrook's complete line of household and lifestyle products. Like Charles T. Pemberbrook's Contraceptive Salve. Slather that salve betwixt your sternum and calves to reduce your chance of conception by halves! Smoke. Thick waves of smoke, scattering ash like a volcano's spout, cinders settling on crop, man and beast, blighting Britannia for miles around. Rumors swirl faster than the ash can settle, hushed tales told over migrants' campfires of a great monster ravaging nearby hamlets, belching thunder and flame upon the unsuspecting as they flee in nightborn terror. Southern England is losing its goddamned mind! Thousands retreat to the coasts, eager for exile, desperate to escape this unholy monstrosity and the purgatory it has poured across the land. Amongst them, our tattered heroes, Dr. Carver Cranebottom and Basil Basilton, conscience-heavy, flee their remorse as desperately as they flee the Awakened One, that mythic terror birthed into being from a single drop of blood. The moment Carver's ancient blade 
found the Lilith Fontenoy's pale wrist, a prehistoric prophecy was made true once more. The burden of this secret knowledge drove Carver and Basil south alongside the other horrified English, whilst Lilith insisted upon remaining, tracking the awakened one alone. Now, ahead of the dawn, our two disheveled wretches trek, foot-worn and weary, into the town of Bastionshire, a town already vibrating with activity, with a prophet upon each street corner. Behold, the end of days cometh. Behold, a pale horse and a pale rider upon it. Behold, fish god, get your fish god here. Uh... Behold, the seven seals broken, and Christ returneth. Behold, the Antichrist set forth to do battle upon him. Behold, fish gold, get your fish gold, fish gold here. Are you ready, brother, for the judgment nigh upon us? Are you ready, brother, for the Alpha and the Omega come for reckoning? Are you ready, brother, for fish god? Juicy delicious fish god? Caught fish this morning? Fish god here? Kava, I think that one prophet is just a fishmonger. It is open season for souls, and business must be slow, what with the mass exodus of all the people of the kingdom. See here, fellow, are you just a fishmonger posing as a prophet? Who, me? Fish god! I swear I don't know what you mean. Fish god here! I'm a purveyor of the great oceanic heaven. Fish god! Brought here by the impending end of all race. Fish god! But... Here! Okay, but are, are you not selling your god to be eaten? Well, what a pilgrim may do once he's purchased a great fish god is quite beyond my control. I am merely fish god. I am merely his prophet. This town is as mad as all the rest. What are we doing here, Carver? We're not stopping. We're nearly there. Nearly where? Where this madness all began. Parson Partridge's excavation site. Come, we're nearly clear of this wretched town. Carver and Basil entered an open square, brimming with bodies, huddled around a hastily erected platform, upon which a hunchbacked figure stood, bellowing to the assembled masses. Which is why, my dear fellows, we must leave this cursed ash can we call Earth, and ascend like the angels who abandoned us. And now they're not going to return for us, so we must chase after them. Chase them until we grip a fistful of their feathers and pull ourselves into the safety of their kingdom as the prodigal sons we all are. Carver, what is all this? A prophecy of chasing the angels into the heavens? Another opportunity, Basil. Nothing more. Carver, look there. Basil pointed to the top of the window of a three-story building. A man stood half out the window, flapping a large set of fabric wings stitched to a crude wooden frame. As he flapped them, he bellowed, I fly back to you, O Lord. I fly back to you now. Oh, my word. Don't do it! I flee this earthly purgation and fly back to you. The man, with the fabric wings, then stepped fully to the ledge and leapt into the open air. He flapped once, twice, and then plummeted to the unseen crowd below. Devil has come over these people. I think you've said it, Basil. How's that? The devil. Come, we're nearly free of these fools. 
The two pushed past the gasping masses, who were now approaching something of a fury in the wake of the dead disciples' daring leap. The destitution of these fearful lot was inescapable at such close proximity. Carver drew a handkerchief to his nose as he shouldered on. Suddenly, the preacher, who had moments before been expounding upon the necessity to fly to heaven, grabbed Carver by the wrist. Spare some coin, brother. Unhand me. I've no more coin than any of these other unfortunate souls. You aren't the unfortunate type, brother. I never said I was, brother. Come now, Carve. That's enough, fellow. We'll be on our way. That look in your eye says it's often you decide who's fortunate and who ain't. I don't decide, I merely discern. Hmm, a hands-off kind of fellow, eh, brother? If the hands are yours, I suppose I would prefer them off, yes. A beggar without hands. And now that would be unfortunate, wouldn't it? Perhaps for the beggar. Carver? Carver? Let him go, Carve. Come. Yes, come. We're nearly there. Going to visit the priest on the hill, huh? What of it? What of the hill? Oh, you'll see everything from up there. Uh, sorry, sorry. Discern, right? Because you don't decide. Why don't you follow your disciples' example and decide to jump off a bridge? Good day. Whoa! Carver was pissed. And that wordplay. Not the kind of banter you'd expect with a beggar, right? Huh. You know, did, do you think, do you think it was, you know, significant? Like the, all the stuff about the, the hands and the, the fortune and, oh my god, it, it, it was like a setup for the themes, right? Ah, yeah, okay, like the themes about, uh... Stop it. If the audience can't keep up, that's their problem. Oh, okay, okay, mentor, I, 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 I hear you. But what if I can't keep... What is that smell? Are you cooking something? Hmm? Oh. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm just uh, making some ramen. Do you do you want some? Yes. Wait, is it chicken flavor? No, never mind. Yes, yes. Do you think the parson will take us in? If he hasn't been overrun by these barbarous garbage people. Do you think the parson will let us sleep indoors? If he hasn't been cuddled and had his blood drunk by these savage, dirty garbage people. Do you think the parson will let us write letters to our mistresses? If he hasn't had his head stuck on a crudely fashioned pike and had his eyes burned out and his bollocks petrified into an ornament for a walking stick in his... Hang on, why do you want to write a letter to a mistress? Hang on, do you even have a mistress? Hang on. Uh, Sorry, my foot had an itch. Well... Well, what? Who's this bloody mistress, then? Unless... Did you mean you wanted to write a letter to one of my mistresses? And if so, which one, you little pervert? What? No, it's all right. I kind of like it. Which one? Marinda Nightingale? Cassandra Willis? Don't tell me you're enamored by Bela Boxwain unless... Basil, you psychopath. Do you have an armpit fetish? No. What... How would that even... So not Baylor, fine. Let's see. <gasps> Elder Fowling Switch. Old Elder? Elder with the wooden teeth? Oh, God, Basil, I hate to tell you this, but Elder is entirely not your type, which might be perfect, as a matter of fact. Father, I don't want to write letters to your lovers. Well, I'd help you, of course, get you started anyway. Let's see, with Elder, best not to lead with the business of her teeth. Father, I want to write a letter to my mistress. I don't follow. There is a lady to whom I write letters. Yes. Who in turn writes letters back to me. Yes. 
and the letters are often of a courting and sometimes carnal nature. But, but, Basil, I always assumed... What? Well, that you were... That I was what? Well... Oh! Oh, God, it's an earthquake! It's an earthquake! Oh, God! Correct, Basil, but it has passed. You can let go of my leg now. Sorry, Carv. My, but you certainly wrapped yourself around there, didn't you? Like a Grecian nymph around the swollen trunk of a baobab tree. Come along now, we're nearly there. The two stole away from the shaking town and its throng of wild-eyed survivalists and climbed the hill toward Parson Partridge's home. When they arrived, they saw that the great pit from whence the mighty bones had been taken was filled in and packed tight with fresh earth. The old parson greeted Carver and Basil cheerily and welcomed them in as guests. While Basil changed into the first pair of dry trousers he'd worn in a fortnight, Parson Partridge, along with his assistant Deacon Dove, retrieved the land titles the bone detective had curiously requested. The deacon will return shortly with some tea. Have you found what you were looking for? Thank you, Parson. I think I have. Thank you for access to the title, but can it be, Parson? Your congregation inherited this land only recently? That's right. We relocated to this estate only several years ago, after the former owner's will was executed. And the family who held it before, according to the title, they occupied it for generations. Indeed, the Dunrooks lived here for hundreds of years. The eighth Duke of Dunrook was the last of their line. No heirs? None, sadly. Ah, here's Deacon Dove with the tea. Here you are, Mr. Cranebottom. Doctor, if you please. No, Deacon, thank you. Just doctor for me, you're welcome. How doctored, if I may? No, my title. Two sugars, no milk, but no need. Our title, I thought. No, Parson? Yes, Parson. Your title, Deacon, I thought. Yes, Deacon, his title, his church. His title, he, Parson, my title, I doctor. No, Doctor. No, thank you. I thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome, my church. My church? My Jesus! Yes, his church, of course, but Parson, his title as pastor... Pastor Partridge, no parson? Parson Partridge is pastor, but past parson parted pre-parcel passing. Indeed. Duke Dunrock deceased decreed deed done. Did Deacon deem doctor deserving diggings done darkly? I'm lost. And I'm Basil. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Who the hell is clapping? I am. Oh, sorry, Mentor. It just sounded so... so layered. I have many hands. Basil! Good to see you found yourself some clean, dry trousers. All thanks to the helpful housekeeper, Nan. Oh, do you like Nan? Good. We're still not sold on her. Well, that's not true. We sort of inherited her, you see, from the Dunworks. A holdover from the previous owners? How excellent! Perhaps you'll have some leads on the enormous bone's origin. What about the owners themselves? I'm afraid you're a bit behind, Basil. The parson was explaining how the Dunrook's line ended without any heirs. A horrid bit of business. Oh? Rather unsavoury conversation in polite company. Come now, parson. With the devil walking the earth and wreaking every manner of fire and fury, surely the detective can hear about a little baby-eating. Baby-eating? So the rumours go. The duke had no heirs because he devoured them all. Some sort of ghastly pagan power-gathering ritual or something. Now, now, it's all hearsay as far as I'm concerned. After all, the man left much of his estate to the church. Which sounds like a perfect endgame to save face and remain unsuspecting. 
I have thought the very same... Gentlemen, please, I really can't stand this talk. It's horrid business. Truly horrid. Come now, Parson. I said enough. Tingling. Dinner time. Uh, and this creature must be Nan. Hello again, Nan. This is Dr. Cranebottom, of whom I spoke whilst you were ensuring my inseam was properly aligned. Master Basilton's inseam was like to burst in those tight-fitting trousers. They are a bit snug, but I rather like them. So do I. Splendid. Well, Nan... I should like to speak to you about your former master, if you don't mind. After dinner, if you please, Detective. You have been a long time away from a proper meal. So has old Nan by the state of her drooly jaw. Master Basilton will allow me to adjust his inseam at the table. I don't suppose why not. And so the four sat down for dinner. A simple meal, the guests were told, due to the dearth of once common foodstuffs. An unfortunate inconvenience, since the ash began falling. Nan disappeared once dinner was served, having only needed to adjust Basil's inseam twice. But Carver noted the dull thuds that sounded throughout the house, and assured him she was still about. The flavoring of this beef is unusual, I'll have to admit. Yes, well, <clears throat> Nan has uh, done her best to preserve the meat. We were forced to slaughter most of our meager stock once the town started flooding with refugees. Afraid they'd come butchering your flock, eh? <laughs> your metaphor has not gone unnoticed. I hoped it wouldn't. I bloody love a good bloody metaphor. <laughs> so, uh, Nan has resorted to a variety of methods to keep the meat from spoiling. Not the least of which is robbing our stores of saltpeter. As long as you're not using it to pay salt Paul, eh, Deacon? Basil, saltpeter is one of the primary components of gunpowder. Well, I've heard of a flavor explosion, but, uh... But, uh... Wait, seriously? It's relatively harmless, I'm sure, in smaller quantities. What other preservatives has Nan been using? You'd have to ask her. She keeps an ample store in the cellar. When Nan returned with the pudding, Carver's attempts to ask the old woman were interrupted by a great rapping sound upon the front door. Quite startled, the hosts went quickly to answer it, and Carver and Basil followed. Arms, brothers. Arms for your downtrodden brethren. Carver, it's the preacher from earlier. Indeed it is, and it seems he's brought his whole sky-loving crowd with him. We distributed our alms for the day already this morning. We shall continue to do so each morning for as long as we are able. But, brother, we were not all here this morning. And besides, we can never know when the monster will make each morning our last. Be that as it may, I encourage you to keep faith in the Lord and return in the morning. See, brothers, didn't I tell you? They feed us a remedy of patience. Wait and see. Wait and see. See here, fellow. What fortune? Not for you, apparently, since your begging will go unattended for the night. Not fortune, meaning wealth. Fortune meaning fate. I'm not sure I believe in it. Believe it or not, here we are again. You don't know how right you are, unsightly beggar. Shove off, Basil. What's gotten into you, Carve? These parasites, I... We cannot escape them. Look at them. Spread about the hills, sooty hands aloft, eyes grimed with perpetual sleep. They disgust me. 
Kava, these people are fleeing a horror that we are partially responsible for unleashing. And now they interfere with our efforts to set it right. They don't know that. They're just trying to survive. So are we all. Parson, can't you just distribute your alms now so this mob will disperse? I'm afraid we must persist in the schedule. It is one of the few bits of order we can account for in this chaotic time. These people would sooner see you roasting on a spit than abide by schedules, man. Carver, get a hold of yourself. How can I when my hands are tied by madmen? Carver quickly vanished into the hall. Basil looked to pass Partridge, who warily eyed the crowd creeping closer. Uh, but wait. Uh, the, all this stuff with the hands and eyes and, and fortune and, and fate. This is all important stuff, right? Like like setup stuff, like, like thematically, right? To whom are you speaking? The audience? Yourself? Me? Well, yeah, any of them, all of them, I guess. You guess? Now, see, this is just the kind of unspecific, poorly thought-out, lazy narration I've been talking about. You're calling attention to the more elevated themes that are sometimes present, sometimes not, throughout these episodes. Those greater metaphysical notions sprinkled in amongst the jokes about feces and fat eye. Well, guess what? Simply pointing something out is not helpful. And frankly, it comes across as pretentious and masturbatory. You are not a trained hunting dog. You are not a lit major writing book reviews for the school paper. And you sure as hell are not a mouthpiece for the underdeveloped writing of a frustrated nine-to-fiver. You are the narrator. Now stop this dilly-dallying and narrate. Yes, sir. Basil, the parson, and the deacon huddled in the doorway as the starving masses pressed closer. Gentlemen, 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 please. The good parson has told you what is possible. Return here in the morning, please. What if there is no morning? Why should he withhold what we need most? Face gold, protest over fear. God here, sentiments of outraging unrest surrounding a noticeable lack of fish, God. Get out of here, fish prophet. This is hardly the place of the time. That's right, enough is enough. Please, leave now. My friends, stay calm. The Lord taught charity, and we shall deliver it. Parson, what are you saying? Come, deacon. The parson disappeared to the kitchen, and re-emerged holding a great sack of grain. Deacon Dove, let a hand, would you? And Mr. Basilton, would you be so kind to grab the other bag of grain from the kitchen? As you wish, Parson. Basil entered the kitchen, looking one last time over his shoulder as Parson Partridge and Deacon Dove disappeared into the tide of outstretched hands, throwing handfuls of grain as though to a flock of pigeons. He hoisted the great woven sack to his shoulder, when a horrible scream bellowed from outside. He dropped the grain and ran to the door. He pushed his way through the groping beggars. Grop, groping, like... No, stop! Stop, resist, narrator. We're nearly there. Excellent self-control. Now finish strong. Thank you, mentor. Basil pushed his way through the groping beggars into the garden where Parson Partridge lay dying in the dirt, blood leaking from his opened throat. Oh, no. Parson, what has happened? Who slit the throat of poor Parson Partridge? What will become of the surly mob of beggars? Will man continue to molest Basil under the pretenses of garment grooming? Find out next time on Carver Cranebottom, Bone Detective.
Kava Cranebottom Bone Detective is brought to you by Charles T. Pemberbrook's Casket Bells. Terrified of finding yourself buried alive with no way to escape but scratching your fingers to the bone with the ever-fading desperation of your ragged final breaths? Try Charles T. Pemberbrook's Casket Bells. Now with an extra loud ringer so there's a chance someone will hear you in time. Listeners, I- I'm not trying to be unreasonable or uncouth, but does anyone else have a moderately sized chubby or lady equivalent chubby over the continuation of the Carver Crane Bottom series? Holy damn! Yeah! I'm reminded of those many months ago when I was driven to a cult ritual suicide after I thought Carver was done after five episodes. <laughs> and think of all that's happened in the interim. I, well, I, I was incarcerated and... Actually, let's... Let's not think of everything that's happened in the interim. Let's just pretend this has all been one seamless transition. Life has been one seamless transition. We just cut out the nasty bits and stitch together the beautiful ones. And here, hung before us, is a gorgeous tapestry with nothing sad or lonely. And there isn't some formless hermit in the basement stringing together the scraps into a quilt of sorrow. No, he's not there waiting to collect the horrible things that you daily try to discard. He's not there to help you remember, to ensure you never forget. What the hell are you talking about? Wrap it up! Goodbye, listeners. Never forget. Rude Alchemy is Mr. Thomas Hodgkin, Mr. Andrew Kane, Mr. Andy Werner, and Mr. Ryan Whelan. Kava Crane bought a bone detective story by Rude Alchemy with Mr. Kane as lead story editor. This episode written and edited by Mr. Kane. Featuring the voices of Rude Alchemy. Music composed by Mr. Benjamin J. Robb. For a listing of Creative Commons sound effects attributions, visit RudeAlchemy.com slash attributions. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. To support Rude Alchemy and gain access to exclusive bonus content including blooper reels from every season, visit RudeAlchemy.com slash support. And finally, a letter from Charles D. Pemberbroke himself addressed to me, the announcer. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, I hope it's the news I've been waiting for. <clears throat> Dear announcer, <laughs> he knows my name. I am pleased to inform you that you were our first choice to appear in the photographic poster ad for Charles T. Pemberbroke's men's one-piece horizontal striped recreational swimming onesie. <laughs> I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Oh my god, it's a dream come true. (laughs) When's the photo shoot? However, after receiving your measurements, it has become apparent that you are far too fat to appear in our advertisement. Unless you can lose at least five inches from your waist and reduce your overall weight from your current bovine 125 pounds down to a trim and attractive 89 pounds or lower, it will be impossible to employ you for this endeavor. Disappointedly yours, Charles T. Pemberbroke? No! I won't let you down, Charles T. Pemberbroke! I won't let you down! So, do you have children, or are you just a child at heart? In which case, Saturday Story Circle might be a good place to kickstart your weekend. Because we have the very best of family-friendly audio which is all rated G for great. Join us on the main Mutual Audio Network feed, or you can find us at the Saturday Story Circle wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>